0: Hello, I'm Taj, digitally known as Tropic Vibes, the host of Nifty Business, where we highlight NFTs and explore Web 3.0 as we move from pure speculation to creating real-world value. So I was so excited to do this interview with Riles, someone who I've always looked up to since I came into this Web 3 space. He is the founder of NFT Projects, he has contributions to the Nifty Show, and Of course, my entry point, the blockchain heroes. In addition to that, he is a Web3 YouTuber and much more. Just had a very interesting conversation with him. And without further ado, we're just going to get straight to that interview, which was pretty amazing. And I hope you enjoy it. So Riles, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Obviously, I've been following you for a while. You've been really one of my inspirations as to coming into the whole space. And a little background about me that you might not know. Actually, my entry point into Web3 was actually coming through. I heard on the podcast about Blockchain Heroes and everything that was going on on the Wax Blockchain, and it connected all the dots for me as far as what was going on with blockchain technology, cryptocurrencies, and brought me back to collecting Pokemon cards. And that's how I dove into Web3 and it was through the blockchain hero. So I just want to thank you for coming on the show
1: and being able to share all of the things that you have learned and gone through the journey. Thanks so much for inviting me. And, you know, it's, it's really humbling to encounter people that have been affected by the projects that I've been a part of. So I'm thrilled that you've entered in the space and more so that I've had a hand in that.
0: It was awesome to see all the different things that you have done. And even the name of the show, actually, Nifty Business, was actually inspired by the Nifty show. And when I first came in, this was actually when I heard about the blockchain heroes and everything. It was Star Wars Day of 2021, May the 4th, on Entrepreneurs on Fire. After hearing that. Of course, the first one I had to purchase was the profit because it was like, wow, I finally see the light of all this blockchain stuff that my friends were trying to get me into. And really, I just dove in headfirst and just never really looked back and being able to come across some of the characters such as Mistability and discovering her online and having a little conversation with her. It was just really cool. So that was a very
1: cool project to start with. You know, there was an extra layer of depth rooted in the concept of basing collectibles off of uh many real world individuals because of course there's the sort of recognizable parody aspect but then there is also that angle that's super interpersonal where you have uh, encountered this fictional version and then you encounter the source material And and connecting the dots there is is probably quite the experience.
0: It sure was because I was looking at the NFT NYC when I discovered her, their page, and she had the picture up of the blockchain hero. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It's the first person that I'm seeing on this whole page that has my entry point. And then only to find out it was her. So I was like, this is so cool. I got a messenger and she was really cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're really fortunate to have the connections that we do to have to be part of this at such an early stage, along with everybody who's here at the moment, because by the way, we're all still quite early, but also to be able to participate in the fun of imagining all of these influential characters as superheroes themed around crypto.
0: So exactly what was your entry point? Because I just explained that you were part of my entry point, so how did
1: you get into this? Blockchain Heroes was my entry point. I went through a long process where Joel Calm kept telling me listen, you have to get in on this. There's so much opportunity. There's so much going on. This is the future. And I kept telling him, I see that. I recognize that. I want to be part of it. I'm not sure how. One day, he comes to me and says, so I talked to Travis, and we came up with the idea for Blockchain Heroes. Would you like to help us design superheroes based on real people? And I said, hell, fucking yes, I would love to do that. And it was all downhill from there. You know, we launched three and a half, series over the course of a little over a year. and It was a blast. That project has been a massive success. I don't know the
0: exact statistics, but I don't personally think there's probably any project that has sold more NFTs or minted more NFTs than that. And it's just exciting to see all of the different, the evolution of the characters and the storytelling that you guys are doing. I bet Alien World Shovels would give us a
1: run for our money.
0: All right. Yeah, see, that's that's another one of the up there. And that's good company to be in because especially anyone that's over on the Wax blockchain will see that everywhere. So yeah, that's the type of volume and the community that was built around these cards. But one thing that I would say is during my time from collecting and from entering the space, I see that the shift has almost went a lot from collecting towards just people trying to flip things. And me as a collector, I haven't even sold any of them. I just collect them and I hoard them because I just think they're cool. And down the line, maybe they'll be worth something but I just love the characters. What do you think about that whole dynamics that we have
1: gone through? Yeah, that's a multi layered question to be sure, because on one hand, there is the test of NFTs truly having value as long-term collectibles. There is this clear phenomenon of temporary hype that surrounds and infects just about everything. And so the question of examining the value of an NFT project or concept is not how does it do in the short term. It's how many people still care about holding on to these several years down the road. And we haven't even gotten this several years down the road to answer that question for just about anything yet, except maybe OG CryptoPunks.
0: Yeah, that's true. Where this whole space goes, especially what we've seen, how it just went through astronomical pricings and then came back down to earth It really reminds me a lot of the whole dot-com era. And I know that's a comparison that's often made. But, you know, even though I was in high school during that time, I was following that really closely because I've always been a tech nerd. And I do see that parallel in some people saying that this stuff is overhyped. And I was like, well, don't you remember history?
1: (laughs) Yeah, the speculative bubble definitely seems to repeat itself with every new significant advancement that has high accessibility to retail investors. I would love to see another rally like the first one that we had, and it wouldn't surprise me if we have another one at some point in the future. I am nowhere near qualified to give any sort of legitimate financial advice, by the way. That should be a given. But on the other hand, I also really want to see all of the hard work that people are doing valued for what it ought to be valued and not what speculators think it ought to be valued.
0: Agreed. And That is just one of the frustrating things of this, because some of the things that are coming out right now, the people that are discovering this space that are entering during the downtimes, in my opinion, since I've come in, they're some of the most talented, most creative, whether it be the coders, the builders, the artists itself. And it's almost like they feel they have missed the boat. And it's like the boat hasn't even been completed, still under
1: construction. Yeah, we're basically throwing a party on the dock because the boat is halfway finished being constructed it's not even close to leaving the port. I like that analogy.
0: It's just an interesting space. And again, as a collector, someone who's been in the space, I really enjoy the different things. And I love how, as I explained, how I came in as Pokemon cards, like that was my reminiscent of or being able to connect all the dots and how you guys had various layers of legendary and mythicals and all those different things. I was like, okay, this is really cool. You guys are definitely encouraging collectability. So I really hope It withstands the test of time. I truly believe it will. I think the characters are great. You guys are putting in a lot of work and the art is great. And the community behind you guys are very great. So
1: I expect that to be here 10, 15 years from now. It's hard to predict the future in a place that seems to advance at three times the rate of the rest of the world. But I, I certainly hope so. There's still a lot of potential to explore there. And besides this project,
0: of course, I know I've heard that you are a passionate gamer and even the project that you launched previously was draco dice and that was episode eight of this podcast i believe i'm up to 280 something now and when i discovered draco dice i was all excited and i was like at fr- well i'll be honest at first when i heard it, i was like oh it's dice but then when you explained how i was going interoperable and it's a building pieces to games and everything i started to become really excited i became a cheerleader made an episode about it and everything and i'd love to know what was your experience with that and where are you going with that now
1: Draco Dice has been the single greatest source of difficult lessons to learn in in my brief lifespan to date. I am still just blown away by the initial reception that we had. I know that the NFT market was doing great in general at the time that we launched, but man, am I proud that my statement of the vision... Did you hear that? Did you hear that thunder? (laughs) Sure, It it just started storming here. That my message of the vision resonated with people and there's been a lot of layers to this because on one hand draco dice have been a long play since the beginning i've known look if we're trying to establish a new standard this isn't something that we're going to achieve with just a one-year roadmap we have a lot of work to do and we also have to give the industry as a whole some time to mature and develop some of the technology that's going to allow the industry to take the most advantage of this standard possible. And then the main thing that we promised in terms of singular deliverabilities out of the launch of Draco Dice was a game called Draco Dice Skirmish. And I'm more than happy to talk about the difficulty there because the summary of that is that we got to a point in development where we were able to show off video gameplay just before launch because we had made it that far. And then we encountered Extreme difficulty in getting it to the finish line with the development team that we had at the time. And right off the bat, we're trying to get this released as there's delay after delay after delay, and we keep giving the devs feedback and keep giving them feedback, and the game's still not working at a fundamental level. And we had to say, okay, we have to cut off this dev team. Even though we're late, we got to find somebody else to build this. And that put me and the rest of my team, unfortunately, in the position of well, the main promise that we were trying to deliver on didn't get delivered on. So, what did we do? And I was thinking, okay, well, you know, most people would f- probably throw in the towel on the project at this point. You know, they would just get something out the door or they would abandon the project. They wouldn't put a, a whole ton of effort into it because it's time to move on to the next thing because the property's name has been tainted, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, this is the vision. I'm here because I love games, I love dice, and I want to expand gamers' consumer rights this is how I'm doing it. So we brought in a team of more competent developers. And I literally I just got the new build from them today where I'm finally getting to test out the new battle flow. But I think what's really the value in all of this rambling I'm doing is a piece of encouragement for people who have visions in what they want to do with Web3, but then encounter significant difficulty along the way. It's the message of this is don't get caught up in What the community sentiment is, you know, the community can get frustrated. People can get frustrated that your floor price takes a dive, et cetera, et cetera. If you truly believe in your vision, persist through everything, because I know just as we're going to deliver on what we've been working on for so long and more, everybody else who's willing to go that extra mile has the potential to do that. Bring their vision to the market, bring their dream to fruition. And the industry needs that dedication more than it needs anything else
0: i think that is all just great points a lot to take in there and uh, some notes to just rattle off for anyone who's listening to this getting ready to launch a project or coming into the space i think what you just said was very powerful and i remember even after launch right before the reveal because i that was one of them i ended up getting a few packs myself that there was a little issues with the metadata that i think someone from the community had pointed out and i th- was very impressed by the fact that you guys rolled out those glitch dice and everything. So I said, okay, well, that is the right way to deal with it. Not to just pretend like nothing went wrong or to sweep it under the rug. So I'll even commend you on that. As early as, you know, launch week, how things were going, that you were taking ownership for things not going perfectly. Oh, yeah. The metadata
1: was straight up my fault, too. That was a tough night. That was a tough couple of days. (laughs) But yeah, I didn't didn't want to to push the blame off. I wanted to be known by the community as somebody who would own up to the mistakes made, because I think that that level of trust and transparency is critical for the longevity of any project. And I I really just, I really hate the modern corporate culture of pretending like everything is sunshine and rainbows, regardless of whether the headquarters is literally on fire, you know. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) So yeah, being honest. And I think that's a sign of leadership because sometimes even whether it be in a family, a small business, like I'm currently running a family business or with anything, a coach, a football team, right? To look your team in the eyes and say, look, this is what's going on right now. I think that is something we need in life. So that is something I really don't like either to pretend like everything's okay. And uh, I really appreciate what, what you guys went through with that. But one thing that I would say too is Uh, an interesting point that I'm seeing with Draco Dice and with gaming in general, with this whole NFT space, it seems to be a great divide between gamers and the NFT community or the Web3 community. Why do you think that is? I think
1: you're probably the most qualified one to even give some insight into that. Yeah, I started to mentally draw those those lines, those battle lines in my head a few months ago because I it, it finally hit home what it is that the whole of play to earn has been selling. And it, it's been selling what I would describe as a fantasy that is just not realistic for 99.9% of people. It's not. It's not beneficial. It 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 may even be exploitative. And it's that fantasy of replacing your day job by playing video games. It's like, look, you know, I I fucking love games. I've been playing video games all day today because I'm taking a day off. Uh, I'm having a great time. But I'm not under the impression that that just by doing this uh, in my room by myself that I'm providing value to the world. And at the end of the day, our income has to come from providing value to other people. But more on the nature of play to earn, there has just been this overwhelming proliferation of this fantasy that has suckered a ton of people, in, including myself. Hey, listen, I, I bought into a bunch of play to earn projects because I've had the dream of being able to just make a little bit of money by fragging some of the unreal tournaments. Since I was six years old, I keep going back to that memory specifically because that was a formative moment for me was wondering, Oh, what if I can make a a few pennies every time I kill somebody in this, in this first person shooter, but people are, are not buying play to earn assets because they love games. I would say the vast majority of people are not doing that. I hope that we have other bona fide gamers who care about the games first, who care about having fun first in here. But listen, these video games that I've been playing today, they haven't been play to earn games, because I play the games that give me the best time, and there Mm -hmm. isn't a play to earn game in the world that's anywhere near that right now. So yes, I agree. There's a massive divide between people who are interested in play to earn because they want to have a good time, and that's the minority. And people who are invested in Play to Earn because they want to make a profit by flipping assets either earned or purchased out of the collection. Mm-hmm. This
0: is something that I share with you. And I was even speaking with, I'm part of the Chibi Labs community. And we have one of our spaces hosts, hosts, excuse me, that uh, she is really big into gaming. She actually has another space that she hosts for uh, G Media and something that she always says and i'm pretty sure i've heard you say too is like if it's not fun it's not a game like period (laughs) and i think that is one of the things that the web3 community with the whole play to earn gaming is like this is just a digital job you know that's not it's not a game and the thing that i saw with it and why i was so bullish and hopeful about it from the beginning is i used to play this game back in the day called runescape are you familiar with that it, very familiar with RuneScape, yes. <laughs> okay, awesome. So, all right, with RuneScape, when I used to play that game, my whole thing was, I didn't even go on quests and do all the stuff. I was just, I would go out and I would get ore and I would smelt and I would just sell the stuff. I, I was basically a, a digital business guy, right? I just made armor and weapons and, and sold it. That's all I did. And spent hours and hours and hours and hours of doing that. And for whatever reason, I didn't play the well, I went to college and started to do real life things. I didn't play it for a while. I tried to log in and it said my account was locked because of spamming. I was like, wait, what? So someone accessed my account somehow and um, got me banned from a platform that I didn't even open the account for a while. And the date that they said I was banned on, I definitely was not playing. So I saw that as, okay, this is the problem that this whole Web3 play to earn stuff solves is because we have the security of the wallet. And then all those hours I spent selling ore and all that. Let's say if I didn't want to play the game anymore, I could just sell my account without it being banned. Well, unfortunately, that goal hasn't really
1: been realized, but I'm hoping that's the direction it does go in. That's funny. I had that exact same experience with my old RuneScape account. You you basically just described exactly what happened to me several years ago after a period (laughs) of not touching RuneScape. Jagex gave me the hammer on someone else's behalf. But uh, I agree that There are clear benefits for security and verifiability that that all gamers can enjoy from Web3 as it matures. However, I I think that we also have to acknowledge that we've been overlooking the downsides. So obviously I'm a huge champion of Web3 and I'm all about bringing this to the masses and allowing everyday gamers to take advantage of true ownership both of games and of game assets and the ability to use assets in multiple games. However, we haven't done a good job. And when I say we, I mean the entirety of Web3. We have not done a good job of expressing the responsibility that this newfound freedom grants to users that are not accustomed to a lack of a safety net. Meaning? Meaning that you can make a mistake and lose all your crypto. You can make a mistake (laughs) and your private key is in a fake MetaMask window that somebody spoofed and you weren't careful enough to make sure that it wasn't a spoof and that it was actually MetaMask. It is scary. We, We have a communications issue coming up because we are moving into a future where this is going to become more prolific for gamers to access, where gamers are going to have more access to NFTs and blockchain. And if we don't have proper protections in place, which I think are primarily either custodial or education based, mostly education based, because custodial stuff is still a little bit scary, uh, for obvious reasons, then we're just going to run right into the wall of people who didn't even know better, losing everything that they invested in just such a cold and stupid and quick way. So I, I don't want to rush headlong into this without looking down the road and seeing that there's some obstacles on the path that we need to be thinking about beforehand.
0: Yeah, definitely. And there there are uh, just s- some areas of just pure laziness, not really paying attention to what we're signing or looking at. And we just get into that automatic clicking thing, which I honestly, I hate how MetaMask is set up, like the user interface and everything. It's not clear as to what you're signing and all that. And recently I found a wallet called Argent and by no means am I a developer and can really go into all the technical aspects of it. But uh, from what I understand, I have been using it is the front interface of it is basically like a, an app, just like a PayPal or a cash app or anything of that nature. That's how you log into it. But the actual part that is interacting with the blockchain is a smart contract. So when the user is going into it. It is very user web 2 type of friendly. However, on the back end, to have transactions, you can have guardians being an- another Argent user or hardware de- devices or another wallet. And there's a very clear, readable prompts on the screen when you're getting ready to sign something. So I'm hoping that more wallets move in that direction because. For the longest time, I didn't even know what I was signing when I was connecting to OpenSeas and all that. And I, it's it's hard to introduce a new audience to something like that without sending them through 20 hours of education. And most people don't want to do that.
1: Well, I, I don't think it has to be 20 hours. I, listen, I love that idea. I love that idea of sort of crowdsourcing security from the users of the application that you're trying to execute the transaction with. I can imagine some really fun ways that that could be gamified in where users could enjoy themselves just protecting and safeguarding other users that are trying to benefit from the platform. That sounds really cool. But on the other side, um, I had a great discussion with uh, Jason Brinks. He's the, the founder of hitpiece.com, which is a music NFT service. That's that's up and coming. It's really cool stuff. And together we ideated the system where we could literally inject into a game the instructions necessary for um, any gamer to understand how wallets and transactions work. And this is something that could be plugged into a Doom wad, for all I care. It's just the idea of expressing to the player, when you take this action, you are doing this. And when you do this, you become vulnerable to this unless you do this. And the formula is pretty much that simple. It's just the idea of integrating that education, just a basic understanding of here are the risks, here are how to avoid them directly into the gameplay. And then make the gamer earn the responsibility and the freedom by proving that they have passed through that piece of education. Hmm. That sounds very interesting. That is actually a really good idea. Right. So that way there's multiple problems that I could solve because on the front end. We don't overwhelm an uninterested user who just wants to play the fun game with information that they don't really care about. And we don't invoke the skepticism that's sort of been proliferated. I'm really using that word a lot today uh, through (laughs) the public space about NFTs and Web3 and how all of it's a scam. Right. Uh, So they don't have to even bother with it if they don't want to. But if they want to earn revenue generation, they can volunteer to do that. They can gain access to the Web3 components. They can unlock the freedom of responsibility, and they can start generating revenue by earning and selling assets. I think there is some
0: promise in that. I mean, there's definitely a lot of growing to do in this space. Creative ideas have to come in, and it's not just trying to do everything based on what we're used to, because I also felt like there is a percentage of this NFT or Web3 community that really almost wants to make things difficult as if like it's like their best kept secret that they don't want adoption in a sense which I think is really weird but uh, having ideas like that I think it would really open it up what do you think would be the tipping point other than people are talking about some massive property like Disney just rolling out their own thing or uh, what do you think it would do like realistically within the next three to five years or so to
1: really have a tipping point I actually just caught myself slipping up there because I incorrectly said I spoke to Jason Brink, I spoke to Jason Nunez. I totally mixed up my Jasons. So I wanted to to put that out there before somebody else pointed out in in your episode comments later. Then in in terms of the tipping point for mass adoption, I think it's a myth. I, I think adoption is going to come in waves and maybe each wave is a little bit bigger than the last. I don't think that it all comes to a climactic head at once. I think that the iterating that we have been doing has been very incremental, very gradual, tons of money is pouring in tons of new creators are pouring in and trying to build the next big thing. And with every new thing that gets built, so too, are there new vulnerabilities, new exploits, new hacks, new stories of people losing all their money, new stories of people getting scammed by rug pulls. And I I think the thermodynamic relationship there, where there's an uh, equal and opposite reaction for every action, is going to stop something from becoming like a Fortnite-level phenomenon overnight. Hmm.
0: Makes sense, and I I appreciate that approach because basically that is what we've been seeing. And it's uh, there's different ways of doing it because you know, using a movie analogy, right? There's the blockbuster that just makes. A massive amount in the first two weeks and there's that one that slowly builds over time like a Titanic. Titanic wasn't like this big opening weekend it was just people going over time and it turned into that monster that it was. So that is a a different explanation and I appreciate that because most likely based on what you just said that sounds a lot more realistic than you know what people are waiting for just some massive company or something to come in and just bring in the masses all at once. I'm like I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the, the term mass adoption keeps getting thrown around in the same way that that I hear the word rapture get thrown around in Christianity. I'm not religious myself. I appreciate the contributions of Christianity to Western civilization. This is not a comment on religion. This is a comment on how the use of this terminology has led to it sounding religious when there's there's nothing spiritual about this. This is all the phenomenon of of crowds and mass influence and and how technology gets innovated.
0: Interesting yeah, very much so. And I also see uh, speaking about gaming and everything you're working on uh, rift monsters. would you like to share anything about that speaking since we're in this whole gaming sphere right now?
1: Yeah, you know um, the creator of uh, unaX battle game, which was the, the sort of predecessor to rift monsters, uh, came to me because he he wanted to see the projects live on uh, but he ran into requirements of some kind over over in Europe to have a legal entity own the property, and he didn't want to manage that part. So he came to me because he figured I was the best candidate to give it new life. And I wanted to, Um, it sounded like a a ton of fun. I love creature collecting games, and I saw potential in the unax formula. So we rebranded to rift monsters in order to account for a new story for a new visual approach, where we're, we're sort of moving away from the more cartoony pixel art to something that's more gritty, like magic, the gathering type um, graphics, uh, expanding the roster, giving players a much broader base of lore to discover and setting the framework for what we one day intends to be an MMO. Now I'm saying we intends for that. Don't make any purchasing decisions based on what I'm saying. Just hear that. That sounds cool. You can make purchasing decisions on Rift monsters. Once we actually release. Rift Monsters assets on the basis of the game that will be playable at that time, which will be a more simple game, will just be the creature battling part. But I am excited about that, and I'm excited about also using that as yet another use case for Draco Dice, because we struck a balance where there is the ability to gain a very marginal amount of power by equipping Rift Monsters with dice that give them a very small chance to activate an extra special ability. And at the same time, it's not totally game-changing so it's kind of an opt-in thing if you don't like draco dice then don't bother but if you have draco dice here's another place to to put them to work
0: it's pretty cool how all this is coming together it's like all of your skill sets your backstory your origin story what you worked on from the beginning till launching your own project it's like everything is just these little incremental pieces to this pretty cool puzzle that's being put together right now for you
1: yeah everything does come out to a colorful tapestry it's just our actions deciding what the content of that tapestry is. And I see also that you have in your bio that you are a Web3 VTuber. Could you explain what that is? Because I had to Google that myself. Sure. So let's talk about digital identities, because that's where we're going with this. Everybody has a digital identity the moment that they sign up for a Facebook or a Twitter account. And from that moment forward, outside of everyone's control, subconsciously, if not consciously, everyone is presenting an alternate curated version of themselves, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, because we have seen enormous success in people creating curated digital identities in order to appeal to audiences ranging from niche to massive, especially with video game live streaming, which has been an enormous industry, somebody over in Japan asked the question, What if we did that, but with interesting fictional characters and no one over here in the West had any idea that this was taking place. It exploded in Japan. It exploded globally. The, there was a shockwave that rippled across the earth um, at some point. And now this is like the most under the radar phenomenon that I have ever seen because most people have no idea what a VTuber is and yet. There is an exploding number of these virtual YouTubers, that is live streamers and content creators that are using fictional characters as avatars in order to augment their content creation with an interesting additional dimension of parasocial relationship. That was really condensed. So maybe a clarifying question on that if you have one.
0: No, that's pretty cool because when I googled it and was doing my little research um, recently, just a couple weeks ago, I interviewed Dr. Doge who puts out all sorts of things. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's from the Void community and he does this whole world. He built his digital world and his NFT is his uh, his identity, Dr. Doge, and it, it pretty much has taken on a life of its own. So. I, I'm guessing that would fit into the same VTuber
1: box. Is that correct? It sounds like categorically it would. Yes. If he if he makes his appearances as this Dr. Doge character, um, if he is especially in character, like right, right now I'm actually breaking kayfabe because I'm acknowledging that this is a fictional thing that I'm engaged in as opposed to pretending to you that I am this character named Riles. Um, that's just the name that's being used for my presence here. Then yes.
0: Oh, OK. So he would have to. OK, no, he does break in and out of character. He talks about his personal life and then he goes back in. But for the most part, he uh, is building and acting as Dr. Doge, but then he also speaks about his real life and his day personality, if you will. So in V that character's personality becomes its reality. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, it, to to the, the viewers and the people that are consuming the content that the VTuber produces, a lot of it is because everyone is there for the character that is presented, they're not there for who the person really is on the other side of it. But at the same time, that person that's on the other side of it gets to engage with this idea of a character that they find appealing themselves. That
0: is really cool because that's sort of no different than, you know, back in the day when we'd wait until Friday night or whatever it is for our favorite TV character, whether it is, you know, Fresh Parents of Bel Air or whatever those old school sitcoms were. And like that character, yeah, we know that they are a character, but we were so drawn into that person on screen that we wanted to be a part of that world. So that's really not that crazy or so foreign
1: to imagine. Right. And this is going to become... Bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and if you just do a search on Fiverr for for just the term VTuber, you're going to see how many people are are enlisting the services of talented artists and animators and riggers and all sorts of individuals to create this holistic, shall we say, uh, atmosphere that surrounds. A single fictional character, and then the successful ones go on to amass hundreds of thousands to millions of followers who are there for that performance that's taking place, e- even that when the end of the day most of the content that's being produced is video game live streaming uh, but because this all is rooted in digital identity and because one of the things that a lot of people appreciate about web three, is the anonymity slash pseudonymity of the technologies. We're going to start seeing a lot of this in Web3 too. So I don't know if I'm the first, but I'm certainly one of the first and there will be many more.
0: Yeah, that is very cool. I mean, I'm interested right after this interview, I'm going to hop on there. I'm going to start researching more of this stuff because you have really given me an education on this whole thing and you've got me pretty excited and interested. So I do appreciate that. You have dropped so many gems uh, during our... Short conversation, but obviously you have so much experience in so many different areas, and I just really appreciate how willing you are to just share these different things, the ups, the downs, the
1: lessons, and everything with us. Absolutely. You know, uh, we, we, I can't even appreciate the full value of the experiences that I've had if I'm not able to disseminate them into lessons that other people might be able to learn from. So I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to provide that value.
0: And uh, for anyone that would love to follow up with you and see what you're working on, what's the best place to do that?
1: There there are two good places for that. One is at uh, Twitter.com slash Finally Aligned. Uh, which is also the name of a podcast that I launched, the, the first podcast to be lo- hosted in the form of a non-fungible token, which is going to have new episodes soon. The other place would be discord.gg Overscale. Overscale is the name of my publishing company. It is the label that we're launching all of our Web3 games under, and it's where all of the, our professional activity will be updated.
0: Awesome. And I'll put all that in the show notes, of course, and anyone that doesn't want to follow up on him uh, with him. I highly recommend it. There is a lot of interesting things here and just hearing this stuff via podcast, this audio only, doesn't really do the justice because this is a visual uh, medium for the most part with NFTs and Web3 and these gaming. So I would highly recommend you hop on and check out those different properties and what have you. And I do appreciate the time that you have shared with us and, or spent with us, I should say, and the audience. So thank you for coming on. I'm glad to be here. Thanks again for the invitation. So, we covered a lot of ground there. It was just pretty amazing. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you did as well. Of course, all the information is in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. But as usual, I just want to thank you for taking time to listen to this as we're learning and building Web3 together. So, until next time, later. The Nifty Business Show is not investment advice, it provides insights and information within the space. As with anything, please do your own research before making a decision whether you're making an investment or a purchase.